Amen. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 1 and on for the honor and the glory of the Lord. Very well-known story, story by many people. Amen. Praise God. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. The feet or the place where, whereon thou standest is holy ground. In other words, right where you are standing is holy ground. Lord, one more time we come before your divine presence. Asking for your guidance. And that you will remove everything and anything that may try and hinder the flowing of the word of God. We ask God that you prepare our hearts, our mind, Lord, our spirit. Our entire being, Lord, to be able to be receptive to the word of God. We ask in Jesus' name that your presence continue to fill this place. We bear witness, Lord, to your presence being here, God, as we can feel your blessings and know, Lord, that you are faithful to your word, that you will always be with us. And we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. I'm going to talk about a continuous encounter. If you were to ask a great many people out there, especially in the Jewish people, about this man named Moses. Moses is one of the most outstanding for a lot of these people, especially the Jewish people. They consider Moses to have been a very great prophet, a man of God, the one that was an instrument of God to bring out the people of Israel from Egypt and to lead them through the wilderness or through the desert for 40 years. The Bible tells us that in the beginning of Exodus, tells you of a time when there were Israelites or people of God there within the midst of the people of Egypt. They were in Egypt as foreigners. They were there because at one time, um, we know that Jacob had his sons and one of them was sold off into slavery and taken by force and against his will onto Egypt, sold and imprisoned, and God gave him grace and the ability to be able to interpret dreams. So when Pharaoh had a very disturbing uh, dream, uh, the Bible says that God revealed the meaning to it to Joseph. And when Joseph was able to give and bring forth the meaning, Pharaoh was very pleased and made, uh, made Joseph uh, the governor or the number two in command of all of Egypt. The Bible then tells us that a new pharaoh uh, now came to power in Egypt. And this new pharaoh did not know who Joseph was. He did not acknowledge, know the history, nor did he care. 
Because 400 years, over 400, about 430 years had passed. And the people of Israel that were there as foreigners in Egypt had now multiplied just as God had promised to Abraham that he would multiply his seed. And so the people of Israel were so great and so many that the Pharaoh was very afraid of them. And he said, look, we've got to do something with this, these Israelites because they are multiplying and they are a great number. And, you know, let it not be that our enemies rise against us and the Israelites join them and then they will defeat us. So they decided to make them into slaves and give them burdens and, and daily tasks that they had to accomplish. And for many years, the people of Israel were suffering in slavery. They were, um, I'm sure that they were discriminated against. And now we see that the situation gets even worse because Pharaoh turns around and tells the midwives, he says, I want you to go and if you see that a little boy is born to any of the Hebrew women, I want you to kill this, this child, this, any male that is born. And the Bible says that these midwives actually had fear of God in their hearts. And they refused and they went against Pharaoh's words. And so therefore, Pharaoh called them and he asked, why are you not doing what I said? And they said, Pharaoh, the Israelite women, these Hebrew women, they are more robust than us. They are more lively. They are stronger. So by the time we get there, Pharaoh, they have already given birth to their children. So Pharaoh now comes up with another plan. Well, I want you, I want all my soldiers. And he gave the order, take all the little boys and throw them into the river. The river where there was sure um, death for each and every one of those children. He was trying to control the population of the, um, the Hebrew uh, men and women. So the Bible says that a man from the tribe of Levi, uh, he has a son and he marries a, a Levite as well. And they have a, a child. And this little boy that is born is beautiful. This little boy uh, is outstanding. So his mother makes a decision to go against Pharaoh and she hides her little boy. Truly any mom would have done their best to preserve the life of their child. So it got to a time when this little boy could no longer be hidden. So the mom made a decision and this little boy had an older sister. The Bible says then that the mom makes a, a basket lines it up with a tar-like material to preserve or keep water out of it and put, places her little boy in this basket. So we know the story that now she tells her sister, keep an eye on him. And she sends her little boy down the river. It just so happened that that day, God had everything planned and Pharaoh's daughter decided to go and bathe in the river. She took some of the other young ladies with her as they would keep, probably protect her and keep an eye on her or just to accompany her. And they see the basket floating by. Mama's heart was broken because she had to place her little boy. She had to do something very desperate to try and save his life. She surrendered this little boy's life into the hands of God. And surrendered and gave him up unto God. So we see now that they say there's a basket there. They, they go and retrieve it. And they show Pharaoh's daughter there's a little boy in here. He's so beautiful. But she recognizes him immediately and says, this is a Hebrew child. So this Hebrew child's older sister was nearby, walks up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, look, I know a woman, a Hebrew woman that can nurse your child or this, this child. And so Pharaoh's daughter says, go. 
Go and I'm going to pay for this child to be nursed. So God puts the means so that this little boy is now returned to his own mother. And she got paid to nurse him. Amen. To take care of him. And then, isn't that awesome? God has everything under control. This young man, or now this, this little boy, when he is of age and the time required, she now has to give him up again. And this time onto the palace. And this young man, this Hebrew young man, grows up in the palace as, as Pharaoh's uh, daughter's son. And when he is raised in the palace, he gets to be about 40 years of age. One day he's out and about and he sees how an Egyptian soldier is beating a Hebrew man. He decides to take action, kills the Egyptian man and buries him in the sand thinking nobody saw him. Another time he goes out and he sees two Hebrew men fighting amongst themselves and he says, brothers, why are you fighting amongst yourselves? One of them turns around and looks at him and says, why are you getting involved in all of this? What business is this of yours or who has placed you to be a judge over us? What are you going to do? Are you going to kill me the way you killed that Egyptian soldier? So now Moses, he becomes afraid. They know and he leaves. He gets to the desert, that place called Midian. And he there spends another 40 years. He's a total of 80 years old when he has this one encounter with God. See what happened? One day he got up and he decided to go and do exactly as he probably already did before. And he was a shepherd of sheep. And he decided to take them out to the other side of the desert. And as he's pastoring them and as he's taking care of them, taking them now to eat, he sees that at the top of the mountain, there's a fire. Now, if you and I see a fire, we're going to, by nature, I think we're all curious. I don't know if you were, when you were a little child, you saw the fire truck rolling by, you heard it, and, you know, everybody turns and looks at the fire truck rolling by with the lights and sirens. But then if they drive into your block, then it's a little bit more curious. You really want to see what's really going on. And so that's a tendency, right? And I've heard from people that, came from uh, Central America, they told me, look, when we were living in the village or the town, what we would do is we would see a fire start. Everybody would go and yank off some of the palm tree branches, or we would go and get buckets of water, and we'd all run together to go and fight the fire. Because the fire starts and it grows. It only takes a little bit of time, and it begins to grow, and it can get out of control. So Moses was very curious, but he saw something different. He saw something that called to his attention. This bush that was on fire was burning, and it was burning, and it was on fire, on and on, but it would not burn up. So he said, hey, something's different here. I got to go check this out. I got to go look at this see what's going on here. And as he's getting closer, he had no idea. He had no idea that God was waiting for him right there. See, some of you come to church maybe for the first, second, third time thinking you're just going to church. But one day you come to church and then you stop coming to a church and you start to have church, if you know what I'm saying. Some people go to church and some people have church. Some people come to church and some people are the church walking out and about. And they have a church service in their car and we think or people look at them and think, man, they're crazy. I've, I've had that experience where I'm wondering what do they think if they see us like just hollering and, and, and praising and worshiping and tears coming down. Your eyes and what are they doing in that car? Why is that person doing that? There was one brother that somebody told a relative, you got to find out what's going on because that person's just hollering in the car. And then the other person said, he's actually worshiping. That's how he worships. 
But he wanted privacy, so he would go and park in the garage in his vehicle, but people could hear him outside, and they think something's wrong. Maybe that man was left by his wife or something. Maybe they broke up. But he was worshiping and crying out to God. And so we see how Moses, he gets close, and God speaks to him. And God, keep in mind that God had not manifested himself for over 430 years unto the world in this fashion. And so the Bible says that he's so surprised when God speaks to him and he calls out to him and says, uh, just hold on. Hold on, Moses, Moses. Here I am. Moses, don't get close. Before you get close, take off those sandals from your feet because where you are standing is holy ground. It was not holy because Moses was, was there. It was holy because God was right there and then. At that moment, his presence was there. And there's something awesome about the presence of God. Sometimes we come to church and sometimes we feel like maybe I didn't feel the presence of God. Or we come to church and wonder why do these people do these things if you're new coming into the church. Um, and I've heard that from other people that don't understand. Why, why do the, you know, in, in our Spanish culture there's that. That uh, type of stereotype, of the, you know, men, big men don't cry. And so they're surprised when they come in, big old belt buckle and boots and everything, and then they begin to cry and they don't understand why. Because they don't realize we don't have a burning bush here. We don't. We cannot see God, nor can we touch God, but God is surely in this place. And when God's presence is in a place, people begin to become receptive to the presence of God. Even if they don't understand what's going on. Why are tears starting to come down my face? What is it that's going on? It's God touching a person. It's the body, the, the body reacting, the soul understanding of the spirit being receptive to the presence of almighty creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Moses was very curious and God begins to speak to him and we know the story that he commissions him. But first he tells him, I'm going to get my people, I'm going to free my people out of Egypt and I'm going to do these great things. I'm going to take them to a land that's great, flowing milk and honey and all these good things. So Moses, get ready because I'm going to send you, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. And Moses begins to put all kinds of excuses. Amen. In other words, he had an experience that was going to change his life forever. God never gives you an experience without it being for a purpose, for a reason. Whenever you come across an experience with God, it is because he wants to prepare you to come on up to the next level. Get out. I really appreciated the words. Come out of your comfort zone. Come out of that every same old day routine and, and, and really start doing something that you are called to do. I know people call you holy roller, you go to church, but I want you to be a holy roller. I want you to be a church goer. I want you to have church in front of other people. People got to see that you are part of the light, that you are in the light, that you are the salt of the earth. Moses had this encounter that prepared him to be a great man of God. Even though he felt it was, he was insufficient, I think God is always looking for people that acknowledge and they tend to say, but I'm not ready. You know, it's, we got to be very careful when we think, I'm ready. I'm ready for it, God. And that's fine. You know, we're getting ready. That's fine. But we always understand. If we always, every preacher should, and I believe does, 
get nervous right before they begin to preach because we know it's not, you're not here as a speaker. If Some people can be a speaker, but God uses messengers. There's a difference there. Either you're a speaker or you're a messenger. What do you want to be? Amen. So God is speaking and he's going to use Moses. And, and Moses said, I'm not a good speaker. I, I stutter. It's all right. Aaron's going to speak for you. Yeah, but then they're going to ask me, who, who sent you? What is the name of the God that sent you? Tell them I am who I am. Amen. And that there's no other explanation. There's no other time sense. It's I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me. Amen. You just be ready. You just go. I'm sending you. Be assured. Be secured that I am the, I'm the one that's backing you up. I'm there. I'm present. I'm going to help you through all this. How many of you have been in a time of crisis? Let me talk to you about some, sometimes, I'm just saying, prayer, you know, just to kind of put this in a little bit. People say, I want, a, I want a biblical family. I want a family like in the ones in the Bible. Well, let me tell you about these twin brothers named Jacob and Esau. Jacob was born second. Esau was born first to Rebekah and Isaac. Isaac, the son of Abraham, who was called by God, leave your land and, and your, your, your family, your, your everybody, and I'm going to show you a great land that I'm going to give to you. And this older man that, you know, he's already past his prime, his, his age and his wife is older and she's sterile, she can't have children, she's barren. And God says, and out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. I'm going to use these old folks right here and I'm going to make a great nation. They're already past their prime and they're still going to have children, they're I'm going to do it one way or another. And people are like, wow. And, she, and Sarah kind of laughed. And her name was changed from princess to Sarah because she laughed at what God had said, that she would have a child. But when she finally does have Isaac, and Isaac marries Rebecca, and they have Jacob and Esau, or Esau first, and Jacob born holding on to his heel. Amen. He wanted to be desperately, you know, the firstborn. Uh, we see how one day Isaac has become blind. He's going to die. He knows it. He said, before I pass away, I'm going to give a blessing. So Esau, go get me something to eat, Esau. Esau was uh, a hunter. He was for the countryside. Jacob, he was a mama's boy, sort of. He was like uh, the type to stay at home and cook and spend maybe more time with mom. And, and, and Isaac was hungry. Jacob, Rebecca heard, Isaac is going to give a blessing. She calls Jacob, Jacob, get over here. We're going to come up with a plot. Jacob's all for it. They kill an animal, take the skins, put it on Jacob. They cook the meat, goes inside. Father, I'm here. How'd you come back so fast, Esau? That was real quick. Come here, Esau, let me see. Wait a minute, who, who are you? It's me, Esau. Well, you feel like Esau. You're all hairy. Jacob was very smooth-skinned. He wasn't hairy. He says, but you, uh, you sound like Jacob. No, it's, 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 it's me, Esau. Give me your blessing. And after he ate, he gave him the blessing. Well, Esau comes back and says, Father, I'm here for my blessing. What are you talking about? I already gave you the blessing. And so now there's a big trouble. Father, it's me, Esau. Jacob surely tricked you. Son, I've already given the blessing up. I've already given it. I don't have nothing else to give. You got to give me something, Dad. He finally gives him a small blessing, comes out, looks at Jacob. He knows what he did. He says, Jacob, when Dad dies, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life. And Mama's heart, you want a biblical family? <laughs> no way, right? 
Every family we can see in the Bible has its up and downs and its problems and its issues. And we see this threat. We hear and we read the threat of Esau against Jacob. And Mama is heartbroken. Because that day she loses everything. Jacob, you got to run away. Jacob, he's, he's going to hurt you. He has to run away. See, now Jacob had heard of God through his father Isaac. And through, of course, Grandpa Abraham. But he had not yet had his own personal encounter. Back in, uh, we give you the birth date. Not the year, because I don't want anybody to have all the info. February 22nd, 1970 something. I'm not going to tell you which one. But uh, I was born on a Sunday, and my dad was the pastor at the church in Mexicali. He said, God bless you, church. I'm going to go because my wife is giving birth to my son. Well, back then, they didn't have no... No uh, ultrasounds. They didn't know whether you're going to be a boy or a girl, but he just had a lot of faith. He said, it's gonna have a son. I'm going to have a son. Long story short, I was born when my dad was a pastor. And I grew up in the church. When we came to the United States, we lived on Vaughan Street School, uh, close to Vaughan Street School, the Magana family. Then uh, spent some time with the Murillos, and then we finally moved to Panorama City. And I always was taken to church. We were always going to church. I remember going to church in Mexicali as a little boy. I remember the palm trees outside the doors. I remember waiting outside. I remember the dining room. I remember some of those key features of the church. And so I was always in the church. And it was always, you know, we go to church and we hear all these things about God. But I had not yet had my own personal encounter with God. And it's not until you have a personal encounter with God that your life truly changes. It's not until you have a real personal encounter with God that you are going to get it, if you know what I mean. It's when you have that unexpected, <laughs> and I call it unexpected because a lot of times we don't know when we're going to kind of walk up onto that burning bush and God's going to speak to us. And we had another agenda and God turned it all upside down. And then I remember, I've already shared this testimony. It's kind of a little bit embarrassing because what kind of attitude that I have. But I was at church, and I was, I was, um, I was still young. I don't know if I was between six and nine years old. I don't remember exactly what age I was. And since we were always in church, we were tired. I always got to go to altar call. In the presence of God, we would always say in Spanish, you know, hay mucha bendición. There's a lot of blessing. There's a lot of presence of God. People filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, people crying. People just feeling the presence of God. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you just want church to be over so you can go outside and play. If you know what I, if you remember, if you were raised in the church, amen, you, 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 you remember. Anyway, so I remember my dad, he turned around, looked at me, and he said, I want you to go up to the altar and pray. And I was tired, and I was like, man, every day I got to, every Sunday I got to go to the altar and I got to pray. I had an attitude. And I was angry, I was upset, I was little. And I began to cry. I was so mad. I was crying. That's how mad I was. And I got to the altar. And everybody was praying. And I was there. I was just so mad. I, I'm tired. And I don't, I, I'm just tired of all this. I'm just, I was little too. And all of a sudden something happened. I don't even know when it happened. It just changed completely. And yes, everybody was crying. And I was crying. I was crying because I was angry. And then I was crying and crying and wasn't even angry. Something happened. You see, I had gone into the presence of God unexpectedly. And God began a transformation in my life and he made a change in me. No longer did I see those people cry while being blessed. 
now I was actually being blessed. It changed my life. Amen. It was something, unex it was so unexpected that when I got up, my dad got mad at me and said, get over here. Tell me, why are you crying? Why are you crying? I said, and I couldn't eat. All I could say was, I'm crying because of God. And my dad just looked at me. He goes, oh, man, he just gave me that hug, you know. It's like when you pray and when you enter the presence of God, God was already preparing me and he's already been preparing you to be here today, to be able to preach the word, to be able to share a testimony, to be able to pray for the sick, lay your hands on them and the sick become healed and the demon possessed be set free. Praise God. That's the encounter that you will have with God. I remember I was blessed that day. I didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost the way we, uh, we interpreted with the speaking in other tongues. That was at, at camp. And, and I felt when the man of God was preaching, he preached the sermon. The thing that really caught my attention, he said, you will come to a time in your life where you'll be like at a crossroad. You will be in an area where there's actually a Y in the road. And you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make the decision to either go right or to go left. You cannot stay the same anymore you're gonna have to grow up you're gonna have to make a decision to serve God or not to serve God that touched my heart and when he lined us all up I remember that I was the first one that he prayed for he laid his hand up on on, on on my head and when he touched my head I remember that I felt something come down my body I'm not making this up I don't have to because this was my own personal encounter and what happened was that something came down in through my head down my down my body to the sole of my feet came right back up. It was like flowing. When it got back up to the top of my head, boom, I started speaking in other tongues. As the Holy Ghost willed that I, that I speak in tongues. I didn't plan it. I never thought it was going to happen. I never had any explanation. Nobody ever told me, this is how you are going to receive the Holy Ghost. It's not something I can prepare you like to fly an airplane. You would learn how to fly an airplane. You could teach me how to fly an airplane. But for me to tell you how to receive the Holy Ghost, all I can tell you is that when you worship God, like Sister Claudia, she testified, she was in her bedroom. She was praying. She was worshiping God in her bedroom, not at the church service, in her bedroom, but she had church. And what happened was the Holy Ghost filled her right then and there. That must have been a shocker for her family. That must have been a surprise for her. And sometimes that's what God does. He surprises us. We think we're just going somewhere like Jacob and he, he was fleeing from his brother. He was afraid of his brother. And he felt, you know, he's going to kill me. And he gets to a place and, and Beersheba and he, he uh, lays down and he takes some stones and uses them as a pillow. Bible says he falls asleep. When he falls asleep, he has a dream and he sees this immense tall ladder the bottom part of the ladder is placed on earth and the ladder extends up high onto the heavens he sees uh, seraphims flying about and he sees the presence of God Almighty as God is there and he begins to speak to Jacob reminding him of the promise that he had made to his father Abraham and Isaac and it was incredible when when he wakes up this man, he had no idea where he was. <laughs> Some of you have no idea where you are. <laughs> if you haven't had an encounter with God. Amen. You think you're at church, but you're on holy ground. Amen. And what happened was he wakes up and he says, truly this is, this is a, a terrible place, a great place. This is God's house and a door unto heaven. And he begins to worship God. 
And is, he says, look, if God takes me, brings me back safely, he makes promises and he vows. This is where we see the teachings also of tithes, although he was not the first one to tithe. He says, everything that I receive, I will give 10% unto the Lord. And he makes a vow and he says, and he shall be my God. It's no longer just the God of Abraham and Isaac. Now when God speaks to Moses, he tells him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He tells them who, and, and now we get to a time where you and I, if you have not already done so, will have to say, my mama and my dad had God. But then later on, it was not just my mom and dad's God. It was, he was my God. I made him my God. He, he made himself always available to me. You see, one thing that, that, that I realize and understand that we think sometimes where was God when this was happening? Where was God when that was happening? Where, where, what was going on when all these things were going on in my life? What was God doing? Why did this have to happen to me? 430 years of slavery. You know how many people died in Egypt without being free? You know how maybe Daniel felt when he was 70 years in the captivity of Israel? He never got to see Jerusalem again. He died in exile. But he never lost faith because he would pray every single day. Facing three times a day, he would face towards Jerusalem with the window open. He remembered who he was and where he was at, but he knew and he had faith that God was going to do something one day. So God begins to work in our lives. He wants to work in your life as well. And those are the times where he has these encounters. Isaiah goes into the temple. The Bible says that he can see the presence of God. And he knows that God's people, the Israelites, are filled with sin at that time. It says, oh, lo, oh, woe of me, for I have seen God, and I am of unclean lips. And an angel comes down, uh, 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 one of these uh, six-winged angels, seraphim, Sarah? seraphims, all right? And he comes down, he takes charcoal, or in Spanish, uh, um, we know this, this coal that's lit up, and he places it over his, his lips. He's telling him, you're no longer unclean, for this has been passed over you. It's fire. It's purified you. And his life changes forever. Sometimes we go into the presence of God, and we know that we are not ready. And we know that we are sinful. But the solution to that is what Jesus Christ did. In the old times, God's spirit moved among the face of the waters. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1. And he reveals himself to humanity in one time or another in different ways. And when the people of Israel finally are out of Egypt and they're in the desert, the Bible says that they build the tabernacle and they have the Ark of the Covenant. The holy place and the most holy place or the holy of holy places. And the Bible says that God's presence was there. He was at Mount Horeb and he was at all these other places but now his presence is right there in that tabernacle. And we see that it's an extremely delicate, dangerous type of place for when they now build a temple. And throughout all that time, when they have the most holy place, only once a year could the high priest go in there. When the high priest was going to go in there once a year, he had to purify himself. He had to get ready and he had to tie like types of, uh, of bells on his feet. So that when he would walk, they would make a noise. He also had to have a long cord bound to one of his feet. And the reason for that was 
If you hear the noise has stopped, then he has dropped dead in the presence of God because of sin. At that point, they would have to pull the body out of the most holy place because nobody could go in there and retrieve him. The Bible never has an account of when any of them died in that fashion. But we know that it was an extremely dangerous place. You could not simply walk in. So this is why Isaiah knows, I am, I am a sinner and I cannot be in the presence of God. And he's afraid because even Moses hid his face because he was afraid of God, knowing that he could die. But Jesus Christ, when he's on the cross, when he has been beaten, when he has been spit on, when he has been uh, perforated by a lance, when he has given up the spirit, the Bible says that the veil that was separating the, the holy from the most holy place had split in half, had torn apart. And what God was saying is, come onto my presence. Now you have a direct access. Now he doesn't have to appear in a burning bush. He doesn't have to appear in a temple like he did with Isaiah or in a dream like he did with Jacob. Now at this time, he is here ready to present himself to us and for us to be able to speak with him. The Bible says that God right now says in the book of Revelations, here I am at the door and I am knocking. If anybody were to hear my voice and open the door, I shall go in and I shall dine with him and he shall dine with me. God is ready right now to touch somebody's life so long as somebody is ready to open up their heart. Amen. You just, all you have to do is just believe it and the presence of God will fill your life. Last week we had a Holy Ghost outpouring in this place. People were filled with the Holy Ghost. My advice to them today was, you got to keep getting filled with the Holy Ghost, the presence of God. You're only baptized once by the Holy Ghost. Once. And then after that, you have to keep getting filled and filled with the presence of God. So your first encounter with the Spirit of God, and He fills you and you speak in other tongues, is great. It's wonderful. And you're given gifts of the Spirit. But now you got to continuously Keep looking, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us to reject all those sinful things and just yet now, better yet, be filled with the Spirit of God. Take a time out and look for the presence of God. Do you remember your first encounter with the Spirit of God? Do you remember the first time that you were filled with the Holy Ghost? Or maybe you have yet to have that kind of an encounter with God. When you do, now your responsibility is to continue to seek that filling continuously. If there's something that's really sad, it's when uh, we just feel like once is enough and that's it. And I, and I was uh, mentioning in the morning, we, we heard a preaching of our pastor Angulo and uh, in the city of Carson, he was there preaching and he preached from Psalms 91. Thou turnest man until he is broken. And you say, convert, son of man. In other words, to convert. And people convert once when they have an experience with God. And that was five years ago, ten years ago. But what have we done today to get close to God? Do we repent every day? Do we convert every day? 
Do we keep filling ourselves with the Spirit of God every day? Do we fill ourselves with the Scripture of God? What is it that we are doing to stay close to God? God will never walk away. God will never leave us. The problem is that sometimes we leave the presence of God. And I thank God for our praise team because they make such a, a tremendous effort and they do such a wonderful job. And, and there's, there's times where... Where you can be hearing the song and there's times when you're in the song, if you, you, if you understand what I mean. There's times when people are praising and worshiping and there's times when you're already in the presence of God. Amen. And that's what our goal should be each and every time we come here. Our brother uh, Victor brought this up and it's very true. This is wonderful. This is wonderful because we get here together with the purpose of praising and worshiping God. And that is awesome. That is just wonderful. We're not here to play games. We can go do that over at some other place, Magic Mountain or other places. We can go and have other kinds of events. But here to think that there are a people that get together to reflect on the word of God. To have an encounter with God. To praise God. That is just awesome. That is wonderful. That is what our life should be all about. Getting filled with Christ and going out and sharing the gospel of Christ to the lost, to the sick, to the poor, to those that feel they have no hope, to those that feel they have lost and have no purpose in life. To let them know that yes, you have a purpose in Christ. All you need to have is an encounter that will change your life forever. And I believe that. And I believe that God is here. And if you'll stand with me. I'm going to invite each and every one of us here onto this altar in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the musician if he can come and help us and minister. Amen. God is here. I, I remember how at times God has surprised me. I remember going to um, Sister Maria's house, and, and this was the daughter of our sister Tulita many years ago. Both were elderly. Sister Maria was sick. And I remember my dad took me, I was a little boy, he said, we're going to go pray for Sister Maria. And she had her foot bandaged because she had extreme pain in one foot. And she says, Brother Villegas, my, my foot really hurts, she told my dad. And my dad said, don't worry, sister, we're going to pray for you. We had so much faith, we prayed, and I remember thinking, God, I know you can heal her. I know that you can heal her. You can do anything, God. You can heal her. It was a little... One of those little mobile homes. It was like not even a double wide. It was a single wide. And it wasn't that long. It was, it was kind of small. It was just the two of them. Mom and daughter. And I remember when we finished praying. She gave out a scream and a yell. And she says, Brother Villegas. God has healed me. And she got up. She started stomping her foot on the, on the trailer floor. She said, look, it don't hurt no more. It don't hurt no more. It don't hurt no more. She was so excited. And I remember thinking, wow, God, you're so great. You're so awesome. Because God was there. I couldn't see him. I didn't even feel him. Of course, I couldn't touch him. But he touched her. And he healed her. And that's what we need each and every day. A touch of God. Amen. God is here right now. As the praise team ministers. I'm going to invite you, amen, to just believe he is here right now. He knows what we've gone through. Lord, you know what we've gone through. In our childhood, maybe our young adult life, 
maybe right now in our adult life, what we go through. We just, I just thank you, God, because you have seen us through so many good times and bad times. You've always been faithful. God, you are faithful to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all your people, to us, Lord. There's a perfect example, Lord, of somebody that wants to have a relationship with someone. It's you having a relationship with us. And God, I believe. I believe that there is absolutely nothing that can stop you. I thank you, God, for that tremendous love that you can have for us, God. And I just want to invite your presence, Lord, into our lives once more. I'd like to invite you, Lord, to come continuously fill this place. This is your house. And I know that you don't need to dwell in a place made by hands of men. You are looking to abide in a heart where you are knocking at that door. And you are asking, please let me in. Let me in. I want to change your life. And Lord, we have opened up our hearts and said, yes, enter Christ. Enter into my life. Be my God. Be my Savior. We thank you, God. Right now, I'm just going to invite you. Tell them thank you or invite them into your life. Or Tom, you want to have that personal encounter with him. You understand. You want to understand what this is all about if you have not yet understood. Yes, Lord Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit move here, God. In Jesus' name.
everything I can.